Dracula, you fat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome to the World of Wrestling podcast. I'm joined today with Tax Williams, as always. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Struggling. A little bit. I am carrying what can I describe as an injury. Oh, what happened? Um, Well, it's been an injury that's been lingering for a while, but seems to be getting progressively worse to the fact that I have neck and back pain that also shoots into my right leg. Jesus. Like, from wrestling? or I don't know. I mean... I, to be fair, leading up to Kings of Summer Rumble for SCPW, I didn't really yeah. do much training because I was a little bit uncomfortable. Okay. And, and also time constraints. Um, but no, I haven't done much since. Obviously, I've done cycling, running to try and keep cardio up. I haven't bumped since Kings of Summer. Well, running's high impact, man. So maybe that's not the best thing to be doing. Maybe you should try like cycling more. Oh, like... no, I, I do the cycling as well. But yeah, I know you, you've done a lot of cycling over the years. Like, obviously, yeah. photos of you and your kids are like out and about with the bikes. <laughs> but I think uh, it's getting to the point where I might actually go and see someone okay. about this. When it starts pinging into my leg, I'm like, that's probably something that's trapped and needs to be worked out. Hopefully, yeah. nothing serious. But it sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. Mild discomfort so i'm in a little bit of mild discomfort myself this week but for completely different reasons far away uh, i did three shoots over this week and a lot of them were like 12 hour days right so two days ago i slept in for the first time in months i think i mentioned this to you i thought i'd had 12 hours sleep it was actually about nine but like um <laughs> i've worked out but i suddenly had this pain well not worked out i suddenly had this pain in my right foot I was like, why have I got this pain in my right foot? If you look at it, there's a big red mark. It looks Jesus. all swollen and shit. Okay. I've worked out what happened. Because I slept in during the day, I've left the curtains slightly open and the sun has been beaming in and burnt my foot. <laughs> <laughs> what idiot does that? Like, really? Oh, it's amazing. the stupidest injury I've ever had in my life. So That's the best. Yeah. Like, I almost cancelled our client meeting yesterday because I could barely walk because, like, literally my foot was, like, swollen, like, three times the size. <laughs> oh, it's ridiculous, oh, mate. Oh, amazing. So, we are doing WrestleMania 8 today. Yes. What an absolute beautiful show. I picked this partly for the amazing main event that didn't main event (laughs) and it was the first wrestling storyline that i remember properly which was the which we'll get to more in the pod but we've got randy savage and rick flair with edited photographs or not (laughs) of miss elizabeth with rick flair yeah and from memory i thought when i was trying to list the wrestlemanias which i thought were best like top five of my WrestleManias, this appeared in my top three, and I thought, well, I've always said that seventeen is the best WrestleMania of I all think time. Most people would concur with that. And then I started thinking, what could be close to seventeen? And I think WrestleMania eight is there. So my little bit of background on this is that obviously my first ever VHS, which we talked about on the uh, prequel episode, was SummerSlam 1992, which is four or five months after this show. I'd never, ever seen this show until you said to watch it. Oh, really? It. Yeah. I hadn't realized I hadn't seen it because I have the box sets of all the WrestleManias. <laughs> for some reason, I've just never watched this particular oh, wow. one. So this was really fun for me in that I knew all the storylines. I knew what happened. I knew the plots. I knew coming in. I knew especially coming out because obviously I know some, I've watched that SummerSlam 92 DVD, DVD, VHS, maybe 2,000 times because it was just on repeat in my VHS for years and years and years because it's the only thing I had. We start with Vince McMahon's voice. Can I do it or do you oh, want to do no, it? No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> the World Wrestling Federation proudly presents WrestleMania. <laughs> As he then runs down the card with the classic background music for WrestleMania. 
and the graphics are so good. I love everything about it. This made me so nostalgic and so happy. I really liked the build-up to this event. And again, going back to revisit it, how this leads on for the Raw Rumble in 92, where Sid eliminated Hogan. Then Hogan reached his hand up to say, oh, no hard feelings, Sid, and then yanked him out as a bad tactic for a good guy, letting Flair win the WWF Is that title. how we got to this point? I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, wow. And then leading up to it... It's funny they don't show Hogan being a bad guy in this card. No, no. <laughs> at all. If he was a douche before, they don't show it, that's for sure. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't necessarily being a a douche, but I think because there was so much on the line... Like fish sticks? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <Go on. laughs> because there was so much on the line... Yeah. Um... And showing he would do anything to bring the WWF title back to Hulkamania. When he was eliminated, he just reacted badly. And Sid was a good guy at the time as well. So that then left Ric Flair to be the uh, only second ever NWA and WWF champion. The yeah. first one was Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Nice. So a continual run of Nature Boys doing this. <laughs> Um, and then they had a press conference shortly after the Rumble. I watched this. Is this the press conference that they show a bit of in uh, this WrestleMania? Yes. Okay, I went and back and watched the whole press conference just to see it because obviously I wanted to see the whole thing. Very well done. Yeah, for, for the time as well to be able to do that. And obviously everything's kayfabe to the max. Yeah. And then they announced Hogan as the challenger. Which is weird. Well, because the whole idea was they were going to go for this dream match, the Flair versus Hogan, WWF title on the line at their marquee event. Yeah. Why doesn't this happen on this show? Like, I didn't quite get that. Well, through the research into the background of this, um, Flair and Hogan work in house shows together. Right. And the matches were dreadful. Huh. Because I guess either you work a Flair match or you work a Hogan match. It's maybe difficult to work both at the same time. Yeah. Um, I've never seen any of these uh, dark matches or no, these house shows. But they made the decision to switch it to have Sid and Hogan and then... Macho Man Randy Savage against Ric Flair. How did they kayfabe this? Well, they know? had Sid lobbying to fight Hogan. Right. Because Hogan cost him his chance. And this is where Sid then turned into like the nasty son of a gun that he was beating up jobbers, beating up enhancement workers, having the cool 911 cards put on them as he rolled them up and down in stretchers after he beat them. Excellent. And then Hogan had to come back to save the good guys. And Sid was threatening to destroy Hulkamania. And then at that time... They then switch over to Flair having these images of Macho Man's current on-screen and real-life wife at the time, Miss Elizabeth. Not for long, but at no, the time. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after this event, that's when the divorce was finalised. Let's talk about this, because this is really a transitional period for WWE. We're kind of coming towards maybe the end of Hulkamania. Uh, SummerSlam 92 is the first major pay-per-view where they haven't got Hulk on the card at all, as nope. far as I'm aware. Nope. Um, you've got guys like Sid coming up, who I think is an amazing heel at this point. He's vicious and genuinely scary at times. Uh, you've also got the steroid scandal coming along. Which is one of the reasons Hogan disappeared on his hiatus. Indeed. We've also got lots of guys maybe in semi-retirement mode. Like Not long after this, Macho eventually goes to the commentary booth, but is still very kind of prevalent as a top face at this point yeah jake roberts disappeared yep. for a while this is jake roberts last uh wrestling match i believe for a very long time four years after this before he came back to wwe because the the story i heard was that he was pitching for a backstage role 
All right. Okay. Uh, and so that's why he kind of like ended up stopping wrestling and did, I think maybe did a couple of house shows afterwards, but maybe not, maybe not at all. But they, because Pat Patterson had just been fired for a scandal. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> let's not go into those details. Jesus. Um, but yeah, so Jake wanted Patterson's role. But I think Vince knew the whole time he was always going to bring Pat back. So yeah, yeah. So it's a really interesting time period. It's kind of the end of Hulkamania-ish, beginning of new generations. You've got like Shawn Michaels, Rick Martel, Bret Hart, all these guys that are the next generation, all kind of coming through already. I also really love the commentary on this. Heenan and Monsoon, start to finish. The last time they worked WrestleMania together, Heenan worked one more. He worked WrestleMania nine part of it that's uh, i think that was the caesar's palace one when they're all dressed in togas uh yeah that's where jim ross comes in so i yeah. think bobby's still around at that point but yeah, gorilla th- definitely isn't no this was gorilla's last wrestlemania yeah. so our opening match on the main card we have Shawn michaels with sensational sherry versus el matador <laughs> the racist stereotype tito santana <laughs> Bobby Heenan's casual racism on commentary is genius, <laughs> very funny, oh, but a little difficult to swallow in modern society. I enjoyed, on the subject of Heenan as we're there, um, when Santana did the shoulder block over the top rope, Heenan shouted out calling his move things like the flying jalapeno and the yeah. flying burrito. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Like, oh, as it's... long as you can take it with a pinch of salt and not take it too seriously and not think about how mocked his career was just because of his heritage. Yeah. Like, you know, but it is funny. Let's be honest. Like Heenan could say anything and I'd probably laugh. Throughout the card, there are some brilliant moments from Heenan, which I've, I've noted down some classics. But this opening match is a classic veteran versus young upstart. Yeah. So as we briefly touched on, this is Shawn Michaels' first singles match at WrestleMania after splitting up with the Rockers after launching Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window. This match was really interesting because for a lot of it, Tito Santana was in control. And for a 10-minute match where most of it was Tito Santana had him in a headlock Mm -hmm. and him working in there, I thought it was really interesting. The match itself... The endless headlocks. Yeah, but it was really good. Yeah, I enjoyed the match. There's nothing wrong with it at all, but it, it's old, reliable Tito Santana at this point. Yeah. In that um, every show around this time period, when they've got a guy kind of loose they don't know what to do with, they know they can put him in the ring with Tito, especially the heels. They can chuck him in there with him, and he'll have a, a good, solid opener. And this is exactly what this is, really. Sensational Sherry as well showed how important for young wrestlers to have a valet or a manager. She's so good. Yeah. Like just her little reactions and her voice, the way she screams and like, you know, she's visceral. It is an excellent add-on to a package of a character who needs to be developed and to give different layers to their character. Even down to having her sing Shawn Michaels' entrance music. Yeah, yeah. On the what a great version. version it is. <laughs> oh, my word. When I heard it, I was like, oh, Sherry, well done. Because <laughs> I really enjoyed her work when she was with Million Dollar Man. Yeah. Um, obviously, I appreciate it now as as a more um, knowledgeable fan. But I remember when I was younger, I hated her. And now I'm thinking, I really appreciate how you really added to Ted DiBiase's character. Mm-hmm. And She's superb. She really is. She was outstanding. Just even the beginning when she gave Shawn Michaels the kiss on the cheek and his smug look after getting that kiss. It was... Everything worked really well. And you could tell, even at this stage, that WWE knew they had something special on their hands with Tito Santana. (laughs) (laughs) I always liked Tito Santana. He was a good good guy. But Shawn is a superstar here. His, His little selling and stuff, it's a bit hokey at this point. 
and it's it's he oversells a couple of times like there's a point where yeah, uh, he gets an atomic drop and he does a massive spin, like 360 <laughs> yeah. sell out of it, which is is obviously overselling. But he it's the opening match. You want a reaction and he's getting that, that's for sure. Nice seeing the early parts of Switcher music. We saw a super kick, which wasn't his finisher All right. originally. Yeah. Uh, then he went for the uh, the teardrop back suplex. Didn't get the win from mm-hmm. that. Um, and then we have, to finish, Tito Santana went for his body slam. Michaels went over the top of him rolled him up and that's enough of the win so i thought the booking for this was really smart get the new guy over with the veteran the crowd were really into it reactions to sensational sherry were good and as we said earlier good dimensions to the Shawn michaels character and a great standpoint to watch him grow michael does his sweet pose and throws sherry to the floor yeah quite a nice moment kind of the preceding of this character you can see them trying to work out how sean's going to be in the future and he's he's learning this character and developing it, and it, it's good. It's really great to see this character, but it does need developing at this point. You know, he's not there yet. We move on to our next segment. So we seem to go match interview, match interview, match interview throughout this card. Yeah, and we get an interview with Mean Gene Oakland interviewing the Legion of Doom with their manager making his first appearance in WWF, Paul Ellering. Yeah. Now, do you know the backstory as to why LOD were not on this card? Uh, I don't know why they weren't on this card. No. They were tag team champions, and they dropped the belts because Hawk got suspended. Oh, okay. For the same reasons everyone else got suspended around this time? Yeah, jet ski accident. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. More jet skis. Those bloody jet skis, they're very dangerous. Absolute nightmare. But this... <laughs> Not to do with drugs or you know, steroids <laughs> or anything like that. Just jet skis. But this promo did little to nothing for me. Uh, I mean, the LOD are the most over people ever. Because they walk out, all all Mean Gene has to do is, here they come, hit the music, and it's like, <laughs> as the crowd kind of explodes slowly, bit by bit. As the green smoke appears as Hawk walks out on <laughs> <laughs> uh, jet ski. Are you a fan of the LOD? I really like the LOD. Okay, cool. Me too. They're, they're my favorite tag of all time. But yeah, so um, Ellering's WWF debut not really much to say about that but then we go to everyone's favorite and he's also on the all-in card sean mooney <laughs> i love sean mooney oh uh, i was so happy to see that he's been booked for all in as well yeah be interesting to see what he, i'm assuming he's doing the backstage segments like he is here i hope jake. so yeah yeah but uh, yeah so as you said he's backstage with a now hill jake roberts do you know how this turn occurred no go ahead right so this was... Oh, was this post-biting macho with the snake? Yeah, well, this is it. The uh, post-biting macho with the snake, there was a backstage camera. Macho Man was in the ring after winning a match, and it showed Jake Roberts backstage behind the curtain with with either a chair or a snake. I can't remember which, but Jake Roberts was behind there going to attack Macho Man, and then The Undertaker came and stopped him before oh. Macho Man came back through the curtain. <laughs> awesome. So, so this then led on to a segment on Paul Bearer's funeral parlour, where they showed some of this on the yeah. show yeah so jake roberts then got the undertaker's hand stuck in a coffin or we're going to keep their words a casket yeah yeah and ddt to poor percy pringle poor bugger <laughs> who it looked like he almost improv and like you're standing there have a ddt but i'm yeah. sure it was planned <laughs> but he sold it like it was improvised that's the joy with jake is that he's he seems so dangerous and off the wall and so malicious I guess is the best word for it. Like, he looks so calm and sneaky, and then I'm just like, snap, and like, yeah. I'd also go to say that Paul Bearer, as a face manager, 
with the raising of the urn to try and boost the Undertaker, having a prop would really help a face manager get a crowd behind, again, a relatively new character. Mm. It was something quite different. Um, they certainly talk about it a lot during the match. Like, he uses that urn to gain power and all. They, like, they put it over, over and over and over again. So there's a bit here where Sean Mooney jumps in a little bit early as Jake is still finishing what he's saying and the look Jake gives him. <laughs> oh, I would have run away quick if I was Sean Mooney at that point. You can tell at this stage there are no pre-tapes. No, this is very much there and in the move. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Match number two of the card, we have Jake Roberts against The Undertaker with Paul Bearer at ringside. I'd say this was a bit of a squash match. So this is obviously Taker's second year in the company, and it's now 1992. Uh, what do you think of his progression up until this point? So he's basically being put over strong by Jake, who believes he's on his way out at this point, or at least into management. Yeah, I thought their booking of it into a good guy character went quite well, because if you win the WF title within your first year, I think it really struggles with your character development. Yeah. You're never going to have that first time and the, the wants for the fans to, to have this guy have a long journey. Because again, back in the early 90s, we're having four pay-per-views, five when King of the Ring was added. They would be the times normally when you'd have your big championship matches, your big changes. Everyone would be wrestling enhancement talent. So that's when these matches were new and fresh all the time. Um, and I think that to turn him face and to still book him strong was a good idea. And as we mentioned in the intro, this was the transitional phase with their top good guy leaving for a period of time. Mm. They knew they were going to build people like Brett, but they needed to have another big guy on that level who could maybe work as like the, the main undercard. It does seem like they're testing him here, putting him against a strong heel in Jake Roberts, who's just turned on Macho, who's obviously a very strong face. So to have Taker come in here and turn him face, it seems like the, one of the best guys in the world yeah. you could possibly do it with. I thought, again, a good match to build The Undertaker against an established top-level star. Jake hit a DDT that The Undertaker kicked out of. Mm. He sat up after, like, 30 seconds or so, maybe yeah. a bit less. Like, I think it was very clever that he didn't go to pin him and he's instantly kicked out, you know? Yeah. Like, there was a, a longevity there because they're not just going to absolutely crap on the DDT, even though having Taker kick out of it normally, I think, would have been okay as well because it's The Undertaker. Yeah, but it was nice how they did it. It protected Jake's finisher. But it gave The Undertaker, again, that rub of saying, you didn't get beaten or even just put out of action by Jake Roberts' DDT. Yeah. And I think it was nice that when this led to the finish, so they're fighting on the outside and The Undertaker hits a tombstone on Jake on the outside. It's quite nice where it's a case of, you hit me with your finisher. Mm -hmm. I kicked out. I'm going to take you to the outside and do mine a million times worse to you and just roll you back in the ring and pin you. It's kind of this anti-hero character they seem to be going for with the undertaker at this point and that that's kind of a dastardly thing to do is take your opponent into the outside and give them the tombstone pile driver then roll them back in and pin them and gorilla monsoon on commentary shout out those places gone bananas <laughs> after the tombstone was set and again the crowd were really into it so yeah. again showing how working with jake roberts who was so dastardly and disliked by the crowd to get that reaction of the good guy driving him into the well remember they're only soft padding mm. for the Olympic Commission and the Athletic Commissions if not it'd be 
concrete. I mean, <laughs> watching this back now, you can see that Jake's head is literally about six inches from the ground. <laughs> so it didn't have the impact I think it was quite meant to have with me. But uh, as a crowd member, you this is kind of cool, you know. And it's always important to work safe. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> Please don't pile drive people's heads into the ground. Like that's probably not a good shout. It's amazing how you think the Undertaker's career could be so different if that character was introduced three to four years later because he just would have been a joke character maybe yeah at a funeral parlor he came at the time when obviously wwe were doing all their big gimmicky cartoonish characters Mm. and then it was when it got to the early 90s sort of mid mid 90s where vincent man did his oh we're gonna tear things up and change things and we're gonna be more serious well he had to to compete with wcw obviously yeah but i think had Mad Mark Calloway not debuted when he did. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he would have had as great a career because Vince McMahon took that character and with the help of you know Mark Calloway as a performer, evolved it. And I'm sure yeah. we'll see The Undertaker over many shows that we review and talk about how his character developed over the years. But the fact he was already and completely blissfully unaware, 2-0 and at this <laughs> stage... Do you remember when you think WWE realised they were onto something with an undefeated Undertaker? Because I've got to imagine that to start with, it was just coincidental booking that the Undertaker went over at Mania's, and then when I it- think so. Well, at this point, obviously they're looking for someone to replace Hogan, and I think they know Taker has the potential to do it. Uh, so I don't think he's going to lose anytime soon, especially with how strong he was. Like I obviously remember this and SummerSlam '92 now where he just basically no sell stuff all the time. I don't know when he debuted, was it was it no selly that quick? Yep. So right from the beginning they knew that this was a guy that was just gonna no sell. It looks like Vince is trying to replace that that missing gap that is Andre. Yeah. You know? And I think Taker was the guy that he always knew was gonna be that man right from the beginning. And I th- you can see them trying to do it with people like Tatanka where they're giving them unbeaten streaks. And looks so like he's a good-looking big dude, you know, with a gimmick that works and everything. But it's it's just it never quite got over like Taker did. Taker from right from the beginning was like when you see those, sh- those kids in the crowd like terrified of this dead man, you know, like it just it worked. So our next segment, we are backstage with Gene Oakland talking to the Intercontinental Champion Rowdy Roddy Piper ahead of his match and title defense against Bret Hart. Again, from a storyline standpoint. I'm assuming you know the backstory to how this match came about and how Piper won the belt. Uh, no. Right. So earlier in the year, um, the Mountie was feuding with Bret Hart and Bret apparently had a temperature of 104 degrees. Right. And the Mountie beat him. Okay. (laughs) So I don't know if Bret was legit injured or this was just a way of getting the belt off Bret. So that leads us into me and Gene Oakland interviewing both Roddy Piper and Bret Hart. Interviewing both faces. like yep. yeah, Showing how much it's gentlemanly conduct. And it starts off quite nice. Piper saying, I loves your family. I loves your mum. I loves your dad. Semi-sarcastically, like yeah. an overly aggressive, for sure. Like you can see where they're going right from the beginning. Um, and then it escalates. So the... Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> if, if there was a... a, a image for this that would be the Ron Burgundy going well that escalated quickly (laughs) (laughs) on this one and then it just leads into the match 
So, do you know about how Piper and Hart planned this match? It's kind of quite infamous. No. Uh, and that I watched a video, which is like, you know, the top 100 things that happened, like for planning matches or whatever it may be, just like generic, you know, YouTube videos. And Piper and Hart apparently got together in a diner one day and planned this match out bit for bit. And Piper went, I think we should do it like this. And Hart went, oh, that's what I wrote down. Like oh, they really? literally had exactly <laughs> the same idea. Oh, amazing. And so they sat in this diner and planned out this match to make sure that it was like the best thing on the card. And that they knew they had what I think is probably the hardest thing to do in pro wrestling to tell a story with, having two good guys. Because it's very difficult to make people care when you've got two good guys, you know? Unless they're two, like Rock and Hogan, for example, where it's just, you know, everyone wants to cheer both guys. You know, in this element, it's they're both kind of mid-carders, they're floating around the IC belt, that, that title scene. They're both over, they're both superstars, but the way they tell this story in this match, I think is on the verge of genius. This is probably my favourite match on the whole card. I'd I'd agree, considering that they're on a card where you've got Savage and Flair, and Ric Flair's matches, especially at this time period, would normally be hands-down top matches on the card. Yeah. I would agree. It's with still you. good, but yeah, but I'd agree with you that this match was the best on the card. And considering it was face versus face, there was enough in here to make you think that at times both were going to go to the dark side because they were the level of one-upsmanship to get in and to get the win and to get the IC belt. And again, they're willing to go to those lengths to win the secondary title in the promotion yeah. to have such a great match. And I know. Like today, everyone goes on about the IC title, like the workers' title. This is the blueprint for what a match for the workers' title. <laughs> you think about what be. this leads into? Oh my with word! Bulldog and Brett, yeah, and then Owen and Bulldog and stuff. And it's like, oh, this is the workers beyond belief. Yeah, so good. But one of the first notes I made, because again, we don't want to go for every single part of the match, because fine. I encourage anyone who hasn't seen this match to find it online. Go on the WWE Network, watch. Brett versus Piper from WrestleMania 8 and it's you will great not be story. disappointed. It's really, really well done. Like They go like, will it be technical? Will it be brawling? You know, right from the beginning, like they start technical and friendly, but then there's like, you know, shots here and there where they're like, hey, hang on a second. Like he dumps him to the outside and slaps him across the face and such. The slap, uh, which I think you're referring to, mm. was when Piper hit Brett. That was slightly after the time where Brett landed, grabbed his shoulder to feign that he was hurt. Piper went over to make sure he was all right, and Brett rolled him up. Yeah, like Brett playing possum, like, yeah. oh, cheeky. <laughs> and as I said, that's just the the fine line between, oh, is he about to turn into a bad guy? Yeah. And then they sort of changed throughout. So they worked a fantastic match. You didn't know who was going to be come out on top. There was no way. There were so many parts of this match where, even though I knew what the result was, I was part of me thinking oh i don't know oh that that happened i wasn't expecting that to happen i think start to finish this match was brilliant so the finish of this match piper's got in his sleeper hold locked in on brett hart brett moves into the corner pushes off the turnbuckles to roll piper up for a one two three ding 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 new intercontinental champion brett hitman hart had the match not been so good i would crap all over this finish but because of how the match was put, built... You've got to put it in context, though, in that because Roddy, Roddy Piper goes to the outside, gets the ring bell, like he's really frustrated and he's light to smash it over his head. And then you get this little reversal with the ref bump and this happening. 
So it's almost like, oh, will he finally be fully blown heel? Like they're almost giving you that answer and teasing you. And then you get this kind of flash finish like really quickly. And so I think that makes sense in this con. If you'd had either guy doing their finishes, what's Piper's finisher? I think it's a sleeper. Is it a sleeper? Yeah. I guess it would have been. Yeah, of course it is. So it does lock it in at least. But then it gets reversed. Like if you have Brett or Piper tapping out, I think that ruins the story. Yeah, I understand the reason behind the finish, and I think it works for protecting both wrestlers. But I think to myself, I've got a sleeper hold on. Mm. I'm holding on to this person in a sleeper hold. Someone's rolled on top of me. The only way I'm going to let get out is if I let go of my sleeper hold. At that stage, I think, I'm just going to let go of my sleeper hold, and he will fall off me. I think the justification in terms of, like, kayfabe (laughs) is it's happened so fast and it's so unusual that he doesn't quite realise what's happening until the pinfall's been made. Yeah. Because as soon as he counts to three, he lets go and looks up and he's shocked. And he's like, wait, what happened? But did you you not think that the referee didn't react fast enough to make that be a quick cover? Yeah. Because there was a lot of... He's not great at his job, let's be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Looks great in a Lego movie. (laughs) He spent too much time on his air. He's not paying attention, you know? But that's the only thing for me. If there's any criticism, and I still think the finish, you know, it works to protect both wrestlers. It works for the reactions afterwards. Had the referee gone down and counted the three quicker, I think from me looking at it now would go perfect match. Yeah, definitely. Whereas now I'm just going very, very, very good match. Well, when Gorilla Monsoon at the end of the match is just going, what a match at the end of it, you know, it's pretty good, you know? Yeah, and and again, I think... The commentary on this also really helped build the story because obviously oh, he- they were great. Yeah. Heenan didn't know what to do with himself yeah. for a lot of it. <laughs> that belt, who's in charge of the ring bell? Like, Someone should have better control over this ring There's bell. There's a lie where Bobby goes, uh, give me the belt, I'll hit him for you. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, so good. Trying to encourage them to be heels. Welcome to the Heenan family. Heenan is amazing. Like Again, the whole way through this show, he's so good. Um, yet Roddy putting the belt on Brett at the end to kind of solidify their competitive but friendly nature. It's quite a nice moment, you know, very WrestleMania. Usually I don't like this sort of stuff, but again, with the story that they told, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, and there was something on the line. It's not a case of, ah, we've just performed 12 people and we're the first match on, let's hug it out because we did 12 moonsaults. Yeah, I hate that. That's not good. This, as you said... Family history... competitive cheating a little bit both of them like you know they always give each other receipts so whenever one person cheats the other one cheats straight away afterwards which is really clever i love that and the classic pipe sort of you got me today but i'm sure as hell gonna get you tomorrow yeah sort of thing at the end so fun really really good match and then the best moment of the whole show happens (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm so glad you're excited about this i love it I will let you go ahead with our um, our soon-to-be WBF champion. <laughs> oh, Lex Luger is the best. Uh, am I going over this? Or? Oh, yes, please, because right. as, as you are so excited. It's fine, it's fine. So we get a Lex Luger taped promo, which is genius. He's just sitting there, like, in his house, chilling. There's no set or whatever. And he starts talking about the WF and Gary Striden. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> All this sort of stuff. Uh, um, Monsoon <laughs> he calls Monsoon fat and Monsoon's reaction is hilarious he's like wait what <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny uh, and then obviously um, basically he emphasizes how many steroids he's taken and the fact they're doing the world bodybuilding federation thing without saying those words um, so this is just before the steroids scandal as well and this is this ended this whole gimmick which is a shame because obviously the the 
just for those that don't know, the WBF was Vince McMahon trying to do a bodybuilding competition that was terrible and failed. They were basically pushing this guy called Gary Strident to be that guy, like the Hulk Hogan of that company. And obviously they needed some transition, so Lex is the guy they picked. Uh, the promo is terrible. Bobby Heenan and uh, Monsoon try and react in time, but it's so obviously pre-taped because they end up cutting <laughs> each other off and Lex talks too fast and... They do their very best to make this legitimate, but yeah. But this WBF wasn't Vince's first attempt going forward um, at having a two-sports wrestling superstar. Mm. So a few years later, uh, we get on to uh, Thurman Sparky Plug, otherwise known as Bob slash Hardcore Holly. At the time when Bob Holly started, they had that race car gimmick. They were funding Bob Holly under two contracts. Oh, I didn't know that. He had one for wrestling. I knew he was a legitimate racer, yeah. but I didn't know he was actually funding him. Like, No, they paid a wow. good, I think it was about half a million dollars in total for like race team to have a WWF car go around huh. with the view, because that's when um, NASCAR was getting really huge in I the States. WCW knew where it was at. They went for the monster trucks. Yeah, <laughs> but we won't go for the Hogan Big Show monster truck match on top of a building. Why not? <laughs> because I don't want to have someone fall off a building and have Hogan go, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, Back to the building. Um <laughs> But yeah, so that was the uh, first showing in a WWF, well, presentation of the soon-to-be narcissist Lex Luger. Is this his first time on the show? Yeah. Wow, I didn't realise that. I assumed he was already wrestling at this point and they just happened to be part of the WBF. No, that was that was how, ah. we bought, they, how they bought him in. Right, okay, because I know they tried to get Gary Stride in as well, but it didn't yeah. work. But Lex is obviously a guy they, they did get to well. <laughs> and that's when <laughs> He they... was a wrestler for a while. <laughs> <laughs> and when they had his debuts, that's when they had all the mirrors with the fireworks on it as he was flexing and posing into I love the it. gimmick. Yeah, it worked well. And then with the uh, the steel plates in the elbow for Luger as well. Oh, so yeah. I remember that. Yeah. All aboard the Lex Express. Yeah. Yeah, that happened. And the um, <laughs> the naval air carrier where they had the Yokozuna body slam yeah. challenge. And then Lex flew in and slammed Yoko. That's the one. Yeah. Amazing. So after we have our Lex Luger WBF introduction, we're then in the locker room for another live backstage segment with the Mountie, the Nasty Boys, and the worst gimmick of all time. A wild repo man appears. A repo man. (laughs) He just jumps out the side into the shot like he wasn't there at all. He's here to steal the show. (laughs) They were loud. Yeah, Lots of shouting. They don't get hype. They are hype. (laughs) Mojo Rawley basically watched that promo and was like, that's me. Yep, that's how I'm going to be. Yeah, definitely. But then it didn't get much better after the promo. We then switched their opposition, which was uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Virgil, Big Boss Man, and Ho! Hacksaw Jim Duggan. That gimmick is over. Duggan can go into any ring, any any company in the world right now and just be like, Ho! USA! USA! And it would be over. Very generic uh, promos by all of them. Uh, oh yeah terrible I have nothing positive unfortunately to say about it other than Duggan being brilliant I wrote Virgil's one down because I couldn't stop laughing when he said it so he has uh, a face protector on that when people break their nose they obviously have look a bit like Batman Um, you know I've seen footballers have them and such crappy black man having any (laughs) associate he is a crappy black man but that's not what I meant he's crappy Batman don't don't cut that that's funny (laughs) Virgil says, in like the weirdest tone I've ever heard someone talk in my life, uh, my nose may be protected, but when we get in that ring, who's going to protect your noses? 
<laughs> and he says it with that cadence. Who's going to protect your noses? And you're like, um, okay. <laughs> Can we just carry on? Good old Virgil. Who is this family feud dickhead that they've got in the ring doing the announcing? Absolutely no idea, but his comedy is... These lines are fed from Vince, surely. Without a shadow of a doubt. Definitely. Uh, I thought they were so unfunny, I didn't even bother noting them down. Nah, me neither. So I literally just wrote family feud dickhead and then carried <laughs> yeah. on. So. Ray Coombs. Yeah. He, he basically insults the heels and then as soon as he gets into that last one they 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 try to jump him and then the faces jump the heels and, and they bundle him. Yeah, it's 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 didn't even introduce the good guys. The highlight for me of this match was when Bobby Heenan went on to say, I've got a special announcement to make. Shawn Michaels has left the building. <laughs> he does this a lot. And then well. Gorilla Monster replies with, Who cares? <laughs> so good doing the elvis gimmick yeah it's perfect it's, it's it's really good it's you can tell that they're trying to get sean over and they will yeah and it, and it works because yep. as of a sort of a six seven minute eight man tag the main thing i take out of that other than the finish of the match is commentary and hyping sean michaels yeah definitely during an eight man tag that's got no sean in it nothing really stuck out for me but the finish of the match Sags goes to hit Virgil in the face while Nobbs was holding him Virgil moved Sags punched his part in the face Virgil cover for the win it's the weakest finish ever like um, it, it the match is okay it's fine it's kind of Shikara-esque and it's very silly but without any of the talent really in the ring like they're they're good storytellers but not exactly agile athletic wrestlers um, the only thing I take out of this again is how we've spoken about booking of shows previously yeah Put this match in after the really intense, really story-driven IC match to then give the faces a win so everyone's happy, but they can go and get their hot dog. It's, yeah, it's comedy relief. It's piss yeah. break, you know. And also the uh, the Family Feud chap, well, that might have got some eyes on the product yep. for promoting it. But that was it for me. Then we start moving into the nitty-gritty. So in the locker room, we've got Sean Mooney interviewing our WWF champion, Ric Flair, and his executive consultant, Mr. Perfect. I, I love everything about this pairing, by the way. It works so well. And for Perfect being out, I think he was injured at that time, which is why he was on commentary and doing bits with Flair. Okay. And they threatened to show the big centerfold of Elizabeth Flair's promo. It's just brilliant. And again, putting over the title... So saying that Savage is going to go after the most coveted prize in all of wrestling. So again, it's another spit on the old WCW. The big Calls gold himself belt. the real world champion. Yeah. Mm, nice touch. <laughs> it was brilliant. And then he finished by telling Randy Savage that when it's over, Randy will look at the big screen and perfect to be showing the centerfold to the world. Yeah. How good is Flair? Seriously. His promo at this time, like he looks a, like a little bit old and like he might be beyond it in terms of believability in a fight you know but his ability to talk you into it <laughs> it's astonishing he's so intense he's so over like he knows all the things to do to make you hate him but he's so good and at the same time building up savage yeah because at no point did he compliment savage but he got over how important and how he knew this was going to be tough but how he knew he could beat the best because obviously to be the man You've got to beat the man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was thought you were going to finish it. Then I was like, please say the second half. Please oh, say no, the second no. half. <laughs> that's not even one. To jo- that's not even one to joke or even try and put a fun ending in. There's no to be the man. You've got to beat Tito Santana. No. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we, after the p- 
perfect Ric Flair promo backstage. It is we, a perfect Ric Flair promo. <laughs> we cut to Gene Oakland standing outside Macho Man's locker room. So already playing politics. He's got his own locker room. Um, and also Elizabeth locked in a cupboard somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. He's had that in. God. Um, and then, you know, Macho Man's refusing to talk to anyone. Big entrance. Which is Rick the Flair. same gimmick they do at SummerSlam, by the yep. way, with the whole whose side is Ric Flair on between Warrior and uh, Macho. Like they go to Macho Man's locker room and he's like, no, 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 no. Actually, Lord Alfred Hayes goes to open the door and Macho slams it in yep. his face. Nope. Like, yeah, yeah. We Consistency get... is always nice. Well, that's the thing. And again, early days, early doors, WWF, logical booking because you just have to work to your four big shows. Yeah, yeah. Who do you want at Mania next year? We don't need to worry about it. We can see how the crowd is at Rumble. Great. It, yep. It was a simpler time, which made booking and storylines more compelling. And I don't think it's just because I was younger. Because if you look at the main marquee matches of this, all the stories make sense. Yeah, they're all really good. That's what, why, why I like this WrestleMania so much was that it's all, the matches are good. They're really solid. There's nothing kind of like, you know, spot fest, crazy young buck sort of match or whatever, which you wouldn't expect, obviously, from this time period. But every story is solid. The wrestling is solid. The storytelling in the matches is solid, you know. So, at, yeah, it's absolutely great. So we have our big entrance, Ric Flair, as Bobby Heenan just lays on how expensive Flair's robes are. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, this can't believe at 1992, this is Ric Flair's first WrestleMania. Yeah, it seems a shame that he didn't get in earlier. But, again, he's the NWA guy. Yeah. It always and was. he wasn't. At any others after this, was he? This was his one and only WrestleMania until again. He, go on. He came back. Was it against Undertaker? Uh, I Mania? believe so. Yeah, I'm not sure what the matches he came back for, but yeah, again, it was a transitional period of um, WWF during this time period. This yeah. is one of the last things Flair does for them, you know. Yeah, and it's it's weird in that he is top heel at this point. Like him and Sid are two guys that don't stick around for long, and they're their top heels at this point. I mean, at this point, they've still got Hogan, Savage, blah, blah, but again, they're all kind of on their way out at this point. They've done everything they could have done in WWF at that time. It seems weird that they wouldn't do everything they could do to hold on to Flair. I think that might have been down to Flair's personal choice, though. Yeah, maybe. Rather than anything. I mean, it was always the competition, so you think his loyalty really in the back of his head's with the NWA, maybe not WCW because he was kind of shit on by them. Yeah. Um, especially when he's doing all the little digs at WCW as well. <laughs> but he, he certainly has always been the NWA guy who held that belt for a long time. Had some amazing matches too. So, I mean, championship match halfway through the card. How do you feel about it? Not happy about it. Me I, neither. I, this should have been the main event. I understand why Hogan was on last. And I understand that leading into that story with Hogan, they started to play up the, oh, maybe it's Hogan's last match. But this, and I still think to probably up until a few years ago, the WWF, now WWE title, should always main event WrestleMania. Because all the wrestlers have always said... Men's or women's, yes. Yeah, well, exactly. Any championship. (laughs) The top tier championship should main event that pay-per-view. Yeah. Because they always say, if you're not in the business to be the top champion for your gender, what are you doing? Mm, I don't necessarily agree with that, I'm going to be honest. Um, guys like Sami Zayn, guys like Colt Cabana. Yeah, you know, but I Colt Cabana think... and Sami Zayn probably all believe that they are good enough to be the top-level champion in their promotions. And in some of their promotions mm. I've wrestled in, they have been the top-level <laughs> champions. Yeah, I think they, they all can be. I think 
I think you need important people that can play important roles in a pro wrestling company. I don't think they all need to be champion to play those roles. So like Ted DiBiase, I think is a really good example. Ted DiBiase never really needed that belt. I think he should have had it, but he didn't necessarily need it, you know? No, but I think the... In terms of kayfabe, I think you're right. Yeah, I think the story is that the, you are in your wrestling promotion to be the champion. Yeah. So why should your championship match with arguably the two best wrestlers on your card be smack bang in the middle? Oh, 100%. Yeah, makes no sense. Flair is wearing red is the first thing I notice, which if you know anything about Ric Flair, you know what's going to happen. Oh, dear. Mm. And on that subject, Ric Flair blading directly into a camera during the no one's allowed to blade something i forgot to mention about uh, the brett match brett and yeah brett and piper um obviously brett blades halfway through he cuts his eyebrow across the top but they did a stiff punch before it to sell the fact that it was hard way yeah and when they went backstage vince was like oh you bladed we're gonna find you and all this sort of stuff they were like no no that was hard way vince like and they portrayed it like that Flair doesn't even try. No. <laughs> he takes a bump off the side, hits his head against the rail, goes down, and literally it's like <laughs> splicing his face open. He might as well have just said to the camera guy, Hey, come here, come here, come here. <laughs> oh, look what I'm doing. Look where it's in my wrist tape. La 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 la. Cutty, 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 cutty. Apparently he got a big fine after this, which yeah. might not have helped with you know the relationship with WWE and ask him to stick around and such. No, as we've mentioned on a previous pod about blading, I don't I mean the visual of Ric Flair. It looks spectacular with his hair and how it how it works, and because he's known for it. But I still think that had they not had blood in this match, it still would have been a great match. Yeah, definitely. It felt very um, insignificant to this story they were trying to tell here. It felt like uh, they'd kind of had the match uh, almost right up until the point of the finish, and then he bladed. Yeah, you know, like they they'd almost completed a lot of the spots and the story and everything. And the blade came right at the end of the... To the point where you're so used to seeing Ric Flair with blood like flowing through his like white hair. Where it was only kind of covering the first third of it. They didn't really go the full kind of Ric Flair blade job they usually do. No, it's just like he felt, I'm at WrestleMania, I should have this visual. Yeah. And I'm going to throw it in regards to the story. Mm-hmm. They they start off fairly strong because obviously they go to the outside and Ric Flair... Uh, sorry, Perfect interferes straight away. And then, kind of, as this match goes on, you can feel the crowd building and building and building and trying to hope that they get to this point of this finale. This was, again, similar to what we said about Brett and Piper. Mm-hmm. How they took the crowd on a journey. And whilst they were at different paces, it was fever pitch at the end of this match. You can tell how good they are at whipping up a crowd. And reading the crowd, because yeah. people have always said that Matchman always wants to plan a match piece by piece by piece and plan it all out before he goes out to the ring. But I think they're both so good that they would have been able to feed off that feed off that crowd. Did this feel like Flair working a macho match or macho working a Flair match to you? Uh, this felt a little bit like Flair working a macho match okay. to me. Um, purely because... Parts of it felt a little bit robotic, like it was, we must do this now, we must do this now. Right. Until the tail end of the match, when things looked like they became a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more fluid, which is why I think, as we said, where the crowd were really, really getting into it, I think this match went longer than it was planned to. 
Okay. Which is why Bulldog and Berserk was struck off the card because they went off book a little bit for what they were doing. Okay. And um, that's just an opinion of how the match unfolded. But when uh, they get to these false finishes, they've got more false finishes in this match than the Bucks do in their matches. I, I swear. was going to say, yeah, this is this is more than the average indie. Yeah, and especially WWE at this time, like you would have an occasional false finish, someone might kick out of a finisher or get a surprise finish. But it's very rare. Usually, when you have that finish, it's boom, 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 done. You know. This was, I think, the first instance as well, and looking back as a fan now and watching some of these earlier things, that you had anything of this ilk in wrestling of that time yeah. on, on the uh, in the big companies. Well, it's, it's become such a personal story between the two with Flair macking on Elizabeth and stuff, yeah. and obviously Macho being playing into that real-life protective character. You know, I think they, they, they play on this really well in this match. Yeah, ev- everything start to finish works for me on this especially with perfect like dragging them out the ring when there's like a finish about to happen so macho does the elbow drop and then like perfect goes in and drags them out the ring and makes sure he doesn't get pinned so you still get all your nice spots but then there's reason to carry on the feud yeah so while i like that mania is the culmination of all the feuds they left enough that they could continue to go down that route which i think all in all this match was really clever you had all the the classic spot, so you have the figure four and then Savage reversing it again, going back into my... Just le- undo your legs. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does after a moment. Yeah. But the fact that uh, this this whole... Um... <laughs> I mean, even as a child, I remember seeing people flipping over the figure four and they'd be like, oh, he's reversed the pressure. I was like, uh, not really. <laughs> I love that little kayfabe thing about pro wrestling where it's that thing of like, if you can turn over the figure four, reverse the pressure, it blatantly doesn't. It blatantly still breaks your shin bone <laughs> if it's a legit hold. But yeah, that's an absolutely beautiful thing. So we get Flair with the knuckles with the ref distracted, the brass, brass knuckles. knuckles. Okay, but then Macho kicks out, which I I kind of knew was going to happen because Flair's wearing red. But aside from that, like you would assume the brass knuckles is going to be the finish because um, they sell it absolutely beautiful. And uh, then Perfect grabs a chair, smacks it on Macho's knee. Macho then sells it like an absolute don. The way he's kind of hopping around and trying to put weight on his toe on the leg that's been damaged, I think he might be the best at selling ever. And he kept it on through the whole thing. Yeah. So as soon as that injury occurred, no minute, no part, not even if he's running the ropes, not a minute or split second went by when he wasn't selling. Yeah, he's the absolute best. And they put that straight into the figure four, which obviously he sells again, again, again. Then Macho eventually goes for a roll-up, gets the handful of tights for the one, two, three. I forgot to mention that uh, Liz comes out as well. Uh, he's obviously broken out of the closet backstage and yeah. <laughs> to the front. And they have like six or seven guys kind of all trying to like be like, oh, no, you shouldn't be here. You should be like backstage. And did you notice who one of those guys was? Go on. Shane O'Mac. Oh, is it Shane yeah. out there? His first ever appearance on camera in WWE. Oh, great. That's awesome. Shane O'Mac, one of the backstage guys. Pyro, 60 plus thousand people. There's something that happened just before the pyro. Oh. Flair kisses Liz yeah. on the lips. And you just see Macho be like, you son of a <laughs> jump over her and mayhem ensues. But then once eventually they kick out Flair and uh, Perfect to the back, you then get the pyro and they're, they're celebrating the fact this is the World Wrestling Federation Championship uh, and but it's that finished. But brawl afterwards yeah. went on for ages. It did go on a bit, yeah. Which again, I, that's where I think Bulldog Berserker got cut. Yeah, Cause, true. I mean, he sold it like an absolute champ, but even after Flair and Perfect had left, 
Savage was still losing his mind, and Elizabeth was like, <laughs> "Just put me on your shoulder and do that thing like we did when we got married." Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got Sean Mooney interviewing Perfect and Flair. Shut up, Mooney! Straight away <laughs> in goes Perfect. And then Heenan has left the commentary booth to then come back and say that he saw it. He saw that Savage had the tights. The fact that they're following up the fact that Heenan's the guy that bought Flair across from WCW and such. Yeah. Continuity. Yeah. Excellent. Really, really love this. Yeah. And again, blinding promo from Ric Flair. He's just done 20-odd minutes with Savage. Bleeding... And still getting over, despite it being live, the carnage of having Heenan and Perfect, obviously, you know, it adds to it. But yeah, Ric Flair, MVP of this whole show for me. Uh, yeah, definitely. He's he's the guy getting the heat. He's the most heelish character they've got, for sure. Well, Sid's pretty good, I'd say, yeah. as a heel. But Sid is terrifying. Uh, Flair is devious and experienced and... The wily young veteran. A genuine threat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. After, the promo is outstanding. Yeah. Really, really good. Um, Obviously, the promo pre-match, I think, was better. But the fact that we continued the story straight afterwards, straight in, getting the rematch in, having Perfect and Heenan as well to make it a big deal that they know that their bad guy has been screwed out of the championship. Yeah. Really, really worked for me. There's a lovely moment in this promo with the three of them backstage where I realize how good Perfect is, where Perfect's done his bit. Heenan's done his bit. Flair's now talking. And then Flair, at the end of the sentence, goes, tell him, Mr. Perfect. And Mr. Perfect's looking off into the distance, trying to sort his tie out, because obviously someone's yanked it. I think Macho has yanked his tie so tight that he's not able to get it off. And like, You see him try to take it off at one point, but he can't. And so he gives up, but he's still fiddling with it as Perfect goes, as Flair goes to him, tell him, Mr. Perfect. And straight away, Perfect picks up the last line Flair says and then continues talking yeah. like nothing is wrong. Absolute pro. Like, he's not even concentrating and he's still able to do that. And you're like, oh my God, he was so good. Why did they ever try and turn him face? Yeah, that was a nightmare because that was when <laughs> he was going against people like um, Michaels and Luger. It makes absolutely subtle sense. Keep him heel. He's yeah. such a good heel. After the uh, after the Flair Heenan and Perfect promo, we then go back to Gene Oakland, who's with our new champion, Macho Man. It's a little creepy this promo. A little bit. A little overprotective of Liz and won't let her talk. And it's like, you go over there with the belt and I'll finish this promo. We get a snapshot of our press conference with President Jack Tunney. Oh, I love Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney, where they named the number one contender for Ric Flair's WWF title. Uh And they named Hogan as number one contender. I love the way Sid goes to stand up and then realizes it's not him and sits down like, (laughs) I'm going to be grumpy now and a heel because I didn't get picked. And then this leads into, as we mentioned earlier in the pod, Sid campaigning and lobbying to face Hogan because he cost him his opportunity. Smashing up the barber shop and getting spunk all over his face. Yeah. <laughs> the shot looks hilarious because <laughs> he hits like a shaving cream thing. Yep. And then like obviously has rebounded and gone all over his face. So when he's screaming at the camera, it just looks like he's got cum dripping down his face. <laughs> like he's had a really good glory shot. <laughs> we're hitting all the demographics today. Oh yeah, mate. I we're told ta- you I was back on form. I was going to say... We're- <laughs> You shouldn't be allowed nine hours sleep. There's no PG here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the build-up to this... Um, the Sid Monster montage of him killing jobbers. Yeah. It's freaking hilarious. Like, the one-handed chokeslams, the power bombs. You see these dudes, like, obviously just in the local indie, just having their necks broken and their backs destroyed. <laughs> They're like, you poor buggers. I wouldn't take that job in a million years. And I think the first time as well, 
I'd seen a choke slam. I'm trying to wonder, was was Taker doing them up until Not this point? Not stage, I don't think. I really don't know. No. But cool. it, it's the first one from memory. So at that stage, I thought, blimey, me this show short. I forgot that it was this short. No, we went straight on to another backstage. Uh, no, the main event that? isn't yet, even though they're no, building no, it up, no. which I appreciate, you know. Jump to the ring and engines. <laughs> no, before that though, we've got our Rick Martel backstage promo. Is that? I did write yeah. that down. Go on. Yeah. So basically, Rick Martel talks trash about Tatanka and sprays oh. his arrogance. Yeah, disinfect them with arrogance yep. is the line he drops. Yeah. And as you said, we go to the ring where we have Native know, American wait, wait, dancers. The, the scalping tickets pun. <laughs> oh yeah, <'Cause> he's Native <laughs> American. Yep. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Now. My close personal friend, Mr. Wicked, pointed this out to me as I mentioned we'd be doing WrestleMania 8 and it's one of his favourite manias. Cool. Having all of these dancers in the ring, this was probably the first big, showy WrestleMania entrance. Okay. Um, I guess it was. Where you've got outsiders at the beginning of the ring. I mean, if you don't count Cindy Lauper coming to the ring before you. (laughs) Well, no, but... Exactly, that was a celebrity-driven thing. Just having yeah, yeah. your gimmick and then coming to an entrance. Oh, I agree with you. I was just taking yeah. the piss. Don't worry, it's fine. But yeah, I think at WrestleMania 8, the first ever main showy entrance was wasted <laughs> on Tatanka. <laughs> <On> Tatanka. <laughs> with his undefeated streak soon to be lost at the hands of Ludwig Borger. Yeah, who was the best gimmick ever? Like, I love the (laughs) idea of this terrifying, evil European, essentially Nazi gimmick is what they were going for. Yeah, we'll put a Finnish flag on him just to cover it up. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But um, in terms of Americans, they they may as well just be looking at a Nazi, looking at Hitler, essentially. Like, you know, goth, leathered-up Hitler at this point. MMA Um, beat-em-up. The fact that he just dissipated into nothing... After finishing Tatanka's undefeated career was a real shame. Like yeah. uh, I probably, probably, probably shouldn't go into this in too much detail, but I think Ludwig Borg had a lot of potential. But after the um, so after we have our dancers, um, we have Heenan and Monsoon during commentary arguing a lot because Bobby was still for still furious about most Rick of this match loss. has them just completely uh, Bobby Heenan like threatening Monsoon over the Ric Flair match it just happened. it's great they don't give a crap about what's happening in the ring but that was the thing as well though <laughs> oh, it's, it's progressing the story yeah. and again only a short match get to Tunker in front of the crowd working with a veteran like Rick Martel I love I'm, everything about Rick Martel's gimmick at this point I'm so surprised Rick Martel is not in the Hall of Fame uh, he should be yeah eventually will be you'd imagine can you do the Tatanka thing uh, oh, that's better than me. Yeah, <laughs> well played. Nice. I toyed that sound clip for the pod. <laughs> <laughs> it's your own personal collection of yeah. really bad outtakes. Someone needs to tell Tatanka the only job is run to the ring, by the way. <laughs> you don't run to the ring. Just talk to Warrior. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's my point. He's crap. And and Cena. Uh, Cena doesn't really... Oh, well, I guess he does now, doesn't he? That's a yog, maybe. Yeah. But um, this, the finish to this match after we... a shame, because Cena's not a jobber, but like, you know, go on, carry on. The, the, the <laughs> this match comes to an end when Tatanka hits a cross-body block and covers Martel for the 1-2-3. So another point of discussion after we've had now Tatanka with a cross-body block and a, and a pin, which wasn't his finisher. No. Tomahawk chop, tomahawk chop off the top. Yeah. We've terrible had... finish, but good for the gimmick, yeah, you know. But people know the finishing move. Yeah. Now, we've seen finishers throughout the show. Are you surprised that we've not actually seen a clear-cut victory using someone's signature move 
other than the closest thing we've got is Undertaker tombstoning Jake Roberts outside the ring and then rolling him back in. Yeah, that's the only one, I think. That's the only one I can think of. We've seen finishing moves, so we've seen things like Piper's um, sleeper, uh, Savage even the with matches, the elbow drop. Yeah, even after this, the other matches after this as well, like they've all got kind of BSC finishes. Yeah, there's no clear-cut finish. It's, it's interesting that I loved this show. I really, really enjoyed it. But it doesn't have clean finishes, which I'm usually a bit... That's like a requirement for wrestling for me. I only noticed it as I was just going through my notes. And it's the only Mania, again, I can remember so far, that there haven't been any matches without the finishing move being in. Yeah. Because, again, we've got a few more matches covering the pod, but nothing ends with... I mean, WrestleMania 9 is full of nonsense. like, But you do get finishes here yeah. and there. I and think. Oh, I don't know, actually. I'm now thinking about all the matches w- in WrestleMania 9, thinking... I mean, the chloroform with the Undertaker and John Gonzalez, no, that's a shorty finish. count outs, like... But salt to the eyes of uh, Brett, bonsai drop. Yeah. Fine. And Hogan hits the leg yeah. to finish that off. So that's fine. Hogan shouldn't wear tights in yeah. red. But True. that's a different conversation for a different in- time. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it was odd that I when I noticed it, I just thought yeah. it was an interesting point... Can, can we also talk about Tatanka's tights? No. <laughs> <laughs> the red codpiece and the red thong stripe down <laughs> his arse. Like, what's he going for here? Like, this does not work. So, moving on from Tatanka, we get our next backstage promo, which is our good friend Sean Mooney with my favourite tag team of all time, Ted DiBiase and Erwin R. Scheister, IRS, with Jimmy Hart. Cool. Now, Jimmy Hart had recently jumped across to Money Inc. because he was originally managing Money Inc.'s opponents this evening, the Natural Disasters. Uh-huh. Yep. The Natural Disasters are a last-minute replacement because this match was supposed to be for the LOD. Oh, right. Okay, but Hawk was suspended, so can't, I imagine. Yep. Okay, right. Nothing in either promo. Earthquake and Typhoon cannot cut a promo <laughs> to save their lives. So my notes are super grunty and shouty and slappy. <laughs> mean Gene almost loses his mic in the kerfuffle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only thing, I mean, the match was nothing. We'll get to the end. But the only thing that yeah. this did for me yeah. was remind me of when I saw Tugboat turn heel and become Typhoon on the Bushwhackers. All right, cool, cool. It was a six-man tag. I kind of remember this, yeah. Earthquake and the Nasty Boys, I think, against Tugboat and the Bushwhackers. And then Tugboat turned on the Bushwhackers and they squished them. And then Earthquake and Typhoon formed the Natural Disasters. It's a perfect pairing. Uh, obviously, my first introduction into them is obviously Summertime 92, like I've mentioned like 20 times in the podcast now. <laughs> um, I remember thinking they looked big and scary, but kind of lovable and facey at the same time. Because I know they're meant to be heels initially, but they turned face pretty quick. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the Natural Disasters? Because I think um, John Tenter, Earthquake, is one of the greatest workers of his generation. I think for big men, yes. Yeah. I think it was awful when they tried to put him in sumo matches. Yeah. I think it was awful when they tried to have him go against Yoko because he was just beyond it yep. at that stage. But when I started watching, he was the big heel going against Hogan. Yeah. Doing like the Earthquake jump around the ring, making the like the job of bounce up and down in the oh, middle. Can we talk about WCW and the fact he was a shark? <laughs> I think for for the benefit of Mr. Tenter, we will not mention his role in Shark. And then we certainly won't mention Typhoon Tugboat as the Shockmaster. I don't know what you're talking about. That's that's not the same person. Definitely not. 
in this match when it got started, one of the only fun parts I had is when Typhoon got involved in some of the action and we got a double noggin knocker. They're always fun. I love a double knocker. Talk about fun parts. Uh, mullets ahoy. <laughs> so many mullets. <laughs> Even Ted DiBiossi and Owen Arshoster have got like a good rat tail kind of like thing going on. Uh, Earthquakes is bald on top, but it's got the tail down the back. But Typhoon, Man. holy shit, is that a mullet? <laughs> He's got the proper like buzz cut up the top and then the drape down the back. And you're yeah. like, oh, that is beautiful. The um, the match again is a bit throwaway for me. The crowd aren't... They, they know how to work a tag match. You yeah, know? but the, the crowd aren't really into it. And again, I think this was thrown together reasonably last minute. Yeah. But I like the finish. I like the heel finish. You got to say, Money Inc. are very generous in the match. They let the natural disasters be the dominant tag. Yeah, and you know? the thing is, though, you'd expect them to be the dominant tag. They're yeah. two three hundred the plus they... pound yeah. boys, four hundred pound pound like wrestlers against a millionaire and an accountant. Yeah, this is our, um, dastardly heels. Essentially, yeah. they're meant to be cowards and stuff occasionally. You know, but the match ends when Money Inc. have enough and they get their belts and they walk away and they get a count out. Had this been earlier in the night, I guarantee you a face would have run after them <laughs> and brought them back brought in. Them back in, yeah. And I wonder if that was part of their plan. But again, because they're running short of time, Vince was like, nope, just walk. It, what? It's really strange in the earthquake signals for his big whoopsie finish where he sits on them. <laughs> and then, that's, that's the working name of that move. Oh, the definitely. Finish. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're going with now. And, and then Jimmy Hart jumps in and drags IRS out. And then the ref almost instantly calls for the bell. And then they say it was a count-out finish. Yeah. Like, um, how fast did he count? Was this an interference finish or something? Because that's a weak interference finish. But no, I got um, I got a count-out finish. Yeah, but they they don't actually show the ref counting at any point. No. it's like within three or four seconds he's counting them out, and that's it. And you're like, um, do you not know the rules of wrestling? Well, I also again wonder if it was a case of in his earpiece, go home. Go oh, home, I'm go sure home. it was, but and then but instead of saying saying to one of the boys go home the referee's like it's over yeah we're just gonna finish it off you go see you later boys (laughs) but it's it's not terrible you don't seem like a fan of it but i quite like both gimmicks i i I like the teams yeah i think it was the second weakest match on the card we're about to get to the it's right there yeah definitely so after the uh the count out beefcake 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 my (laughs) god we get to Brutus, the boat accident, broken face beefcake. Yes, another Pepsi spit. Oh, I'd literally taken a mouthful of Pepsi back. <laughs> and she said that. Holy shit. Oh, go on. He <laughs> <laughs> it literally introduces him as like the survivor of this boating accident. <laughs> You're like, what the? It's so weird. It's I- like, I'm Hogan's mate. I need a promo. It's shortly after this when he started having that red and yellow mask. Or was it might before that when they wrestled Money Inc. I have and they, no idea. And they teased. Because they were wrestling Money Inc. And they were teasing, pulling off Brutus' uh, mask. And the commentators at the time were like, one punch and his face will be shattered into a million pieces. <laughs> 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 yes, no, yes, no, yes, yes, no, no. But Beefcake basically says, uh, Hulk Amelia... Mate, Hulk let's, Amelia. let's be honest. He sucks Hulk Hogan's dick the whole way through this promo. <laughs> Even though he's leaving the company, apparently, at this point, you know? Well, he just wants his mate to get a good send-off, like a cake and maybe a watch. Do you feel that... <laughs> do you feel that this is uh, Vince McMahon's trusting side coming out? And 
the stuff that happens with Hogan in the next few years coming out of this segment is why Vince becomes so untrusting. And then like the um, the Montreal screw job and that time period is where it really put him over the edge of just like, we're going to do things my way from now on and that's it. I think so. It, I think you there could was feel it happening. Because you could tell the relationship with Vince and Hogan was a really close-knit thing. Hogan helped create Vince's empire, but Vince steered the ship in the right direction and knew where to position Hogan. So obviously this goes on to 11 years later at WrestleMania 19 when they have the Hogan versus McMahon, uh, whoever created Hulkamania sort of beef coming yeah. on. Um, but because of all the nasties that happened shortly after this event and going forward, as you said, over the next few years, I mean, Vince could have ended up in prison for all of this. Probably should have, to be fair. I think so. Yeah. I think Vince was very sensible to get the well, right lawyers. Mm. And I think, you know, as an interesting... Allegedly. Let's just put that uh, in there, uh, just in case. <laughs> so the next match, we get the Rocket Owen Hart versus Skinner! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well played. What do you know about Skinner? <laughs> I know he spits uh, like what looks like liquid shit into Owen's face immediately <laughs> as soon as this match starts. Well, I'm going to wow you with some knowledge which you may not know about go on Skinner. Then, go on then. Skinner, going by the name of Steve Kern, um, he ran a wrestling school. Okay. Um, it was originally located in Tampa, Florida, called uh, his uh, professional wrestling school of hard knocks. And some people who went through the doors of his training school were Mike Orson, Dennis Knight, DDP, Dustin Rhodes, and Tracy Smothers. That's not a bad lineup. Um, the school was incorporated into WWE's FCW Developmental Territory, and he was there and oh, president wow. of FCW and made regular appearances on the TV show until 2013 when it became the PC. Then they moved it over to NXT. I was about to say, yeah, because that became the PC eventually in yep. NXT. Yeah, wow, cool. Which would then explain why when we did the NXT show and we they showed Skinner at ringside, uh, why he had a purpose of being there. That makes so a lot makes more sense, sense now. now. Yeah, cool. I thought it was just a fun and old-time gimmick. I didn't know he actually had that sort of impact on the industry. No, like. me neither until I, I saw it. And the, the oh, list cool. of the wrestlers who he trained, you know, they're, they're notable guys. I mean, Skinner beats the hell out of him in this match. <laughs> well, when you say beats the hell out of him for the minute and ten seconds this match yeah, ran. it doesn't last long, but Skinner is fully doing everything and he thinks he's chucked him out of the ring and then... First real bit of athleticism we see on this whole show outside of, uh, well, this this end of the card, Owen Hart skinning the cat. Looked beautiful then. He's excellent. I love Owen Hart. Always have, always will. So here's a question. Were you a Hulkamaniac as a kid? No. I was all into Warrior rather than Hogan. Me neither. I'm as in me too. Yeah, I was never into Hogan. I was much more into Savage and Warrior. Yeah. Usually Warrior. Just yep. because Warrior was my favourite. Bring music, face paint, tassels. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, you hate the young bucks. <laughs> are they jacked? <laughs> to be fair, they are now. Do they get blown up running to the ring and can't do anything in the oh, ring? Oh god, I love it so much. Looking back at it now, Warrior was a piece of shit. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like, yeah you he know, really was, and a terrible wrestler. But at the time as a kid, like, that's all you need is a good gimmick. Yeah. I'm in. That's why people cheer Roman Reigns and John Cena. Anyway. <laughs> I enjoy the Ultimate Warrior purely because when he runs the, ri- runs the ring and he's knackered, it just reminds me when I walk up a flight of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like me now still, yeah. yeah. But um, so this main event. Um, I love how Fink has to like introduce Harvey Whippleman in the ring. Yeah. And he looks absolutely disgusted <laughs> when he gives the mic over to Harvey Whippleman. like, Harvey Whippleman? <laughs> there you go. He's like, someone was just like Whippleman's mate. And they're like, 
We'll book you in the main event of WrestleMania, don't you worry? Yeah, it's great. Former women's champion Harvey Whippleman? Oh, uh, I guess he is, I yeah. Think he is, yeah. But um, this main event reminds me of what we've seen in main events over the last few years with Roman Reigns. Mm. Now, Roman Reigns is a lot more athletic, but people rave about this WrestleMania, and rightly so, because I think it was very good. And as I said at the start of the pod, I, this is my top three, possibly even number two WrestleMania. It's right up there, yeah. This main event is exactly what I consider main events to be in wrestling today. Because as there's no championship on the line, it's two big, muscly lads who know how to wrestle but can't tell a great story. There's certain bits that I really, really like about this match. Um, Mainly silly stuff, like the fact Sid is genuinely scary. The build is quite good in terms of what they had to do. They managed to do it. Um, you get that zooming shot of Hulk Hogan that's on every WrestleMania montage ever for the rest of the time, which to me, the only reason they got that shot is that the camera people didn't get to the entrance way fast enough. Yeah. <laughs> so they just leg it up <laughs> with the camera on them. There's a lot of things in this main event where people didn't get in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Speaking of which, yeah. Um, but as you say, the match is, it's too, I'm going to use the word roidy, two roidy guys going out there having a mediocre match yeah um you know down the WWE network there's that lovely little button that has number 10 on it and a little arrow that points forward <laughs> might have clicked that a few times during this match yeah i i watched it um it didn't it wasn't the greatest match and it certainly wasn't the greatest main event in wrestlemania the the star is very clever and then when Sid jumps Hogan and they leave that da 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 da, yeah. da, 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 playing over the top of it because the match tech hasn't started, it really lets Hulk get the better of Sid and then whip up the crowd. Yeah, and when they then face off, yeah, they, they've built the atmosphere. Unfortunately, they've done a great build in the storyline. They've done a great build of the entrances. And then it goes a little bit south. Hogan is only interested in getting himself over. Yes. The whole way through this match, he's not really giving much to Sid at all. No, and I think, again, it doesn't help that he's on his way out because his mentality, allegedly, and, you know, with Hogan, 99% of it you come across is BS. I mean, if only Metallica had allowed him to be their bass player, (laughs) which is probably my favourite Hulk Hogan BS story. Yeah, Ever. yeah. Good luck with that from who in the bell tolls intro. Yeah, yeah. good luck. <laughs> good luck, mate. Yeah, that's not difficult to play at all, is it? You fucking moron. <laughs> but yeah, the, he didn't get any. He didn't. He didn't I seem mean, to be open to anything, did he? Even when Sid does the big choke slam, Hogan barely leaves his feet. Yeah, he literally just takes a back pump and just falls gently. Yeah, you're like, you son of a jump, put him you over. Could have made Come it on, look spectacular. Like, Andre Sid is did, a superstar. Yeah, Andre did everything for Hogan. Yeah, and this is this is the story about Hogan that everyone that when he gets his terrible reputation from as being the guy that won't put people over that he's definitely earned, especially in WCW and when he has creative control and such, and then suing them when he doesn't want to do what they want to do and stuff. Oh, uh, he did put over Billy Kidman. He did put uh, over Billy Kidman. Yeah. Oh, that was a great well, feud. Well done, yeah. Millionaire's Club <laughs> against New Blood. Jesus. <laughs> it could have been good if it had done properly, but, you know. New Blood Rising. We, oh, we feel some sympathy for these millionaires. Well, I wonder yeah. who's booking this. Hogan. Do you notice that Sid cuts a promo to the camera halfway yeah. through? Yeah, oh my God. Like It's like he's, he's realised Hogan's not going to put him over strong at all. So he's like, all right, I'll get myself over then. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, he's an odd, he's an odd chap. 
Sid, but I really enjoyed his work as a heel in WWF, WWE. He doesn't look very safe. I wouldn't want to wrestle him. No, and then he should never go off a middle rope. He should never go off Brett's rope. <laughs> go off the top rope or the... I uh, know what you're the... talking about. I wonder what other people do. Yeah. I imagine they do. It's like one of the most gift clips of all time. Oh, it's the most horrific wrestling injury I've yeah. seen in a, you know, I think ever. I'm assuming anyone listening to this does know what we're talking about, but, you know, maybe give a little Google to Sid Vicious at that time, I imagine you'd be. Yeah, Sid Vicious. Or Psycho Sid, whatever. Just the word leg. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah, the kind of thing I can't really watch anymore. After we come back from Sid going to the cameraman, he's now got Harvey Whippleman's doctor's bag. Dr. Harvey Whippleman (laughs) and his doctor's bag. And uh, without the ref seeing, um, classic heel stuff. Yeah, just smashed him over the back with the doctor's bag, you know. Then locks in the oldie submission, shouting, Give it up, Hulk! Give it up, Hulk! The Tongan death grip? Yeah, not your gimmick, mate. <laughs> he, uh, he's known from his uh, time in Tonga. Oh, yeah, he uh, looks Sid like a Tongan, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sid cuts off uh, Hogan's comeback after this with a side suplex, which I think is probably the most technical move Sid knows. Yep. Hit the powerbomb on Hogan, then we get a cover for two. Yeah. Hogan kicking out of Sid's powerbomb. It's Hulk Hogan. Of course. No I'm one's not happy to... about that at all. I gave a big sigh of like, Ugh. <laughs> And then we go into our usual Hogan routine. But the crowd laps it up. Nailed Sid with punches and threw Sid into the turnbuckles. Hogan with a big boot. Sid didn't go down. So we push our hands in the air and wave them <laughs> around like we just don't care. And we hit Hogan with a body slam into that deadly leg drop where we get the usual one, two. Oh my God. Someone just kicked out of Hogan's leg drop. Yeah. What's that? Papa Shango still eating his sandwich backstage. <laughs> <laughs> Harvey Whippleman and Sid do a great job here of improvising because for those of you who don't know that you just implied, uh, Papa Shango is meant to come out and break up this pinfall and he's not even through the entranceway <laughs> when this is happening. Now, uh, Charles Wright, uh, Papa Shango, Godfather, Kama, the ultimate fighting machine, um, apparently... <laughs> Which is a great gimmick. Stifling a laugh there. It's still going for you. Um, so uh, the story goes for Charles Wright backstage is that he was waiting at the curtain for someone to give him a cue right. to go out when it was about to be leg drop time. And no one gave him the cue. So he wasn't sitting at Gorilla. He was sitting by the curtain, essentially. Yeah, like, oh, waiting to go come out. Come on, bro. But here's my thought process on this. It's quite a long way to get to that ring. And if Hogan hits the leg <laughs> it's drop... It's like a 10-minute run. Yeah. He's not He's not the smallest bloke, is old Papa Shungo. You would have thought they'd send him out early, so he's definitely at ringside. Yeah. The ref, isn't, the ref doesn't need to notice. You know, it doesn't need to be a problem. But after Whippleman and Sid create the best bit of improvising, and you can tell Hogan's livid that Sid's dared to kick out of his almighty leg drop. Yeah. Papa Shungo just strolls down to the ring, jogging nicely <laughs> with his little face paint on, no hat. The bell's already rung by this point. And yeah, because really Harvey, Wh- Harvey Whippleman has got involved yeah, into the ring. Exactly. Yeah. How, how, how naughty. And then, um, so so Papa Shungo's mincing down to the ring. And mincing. With it- <laughs> <laughs> he is as well. He mints his way down to the ring to start beating down Hogan after the DQ. No reason why Papa Shungo and Sid Vicious are working together. Sorry, Sid Justice are working together. No reason for Dr. Harvey Whippleman. He's not Dr. Frankenstein. He hasn't created this monster. Vince has created this monster. So down they go. They beat down Hogan until 
a very familiar guitar riff starts playing. And out of the back, not missing his cue, was the ultimate warrior. <laughs> Nicely done, yeah. As he legs it to the ring, blows up halfway to getting into the ring. <laughs> Does one clothesline. Yeah. <laughs> You expect him to be a house of fire and to wreck everyone. He literally does one clothesline to uh, Shango, yep. talking about the ring, and they're supposed the whole time just holding the rope, shaking them as he gets hit with a chair and stuff. Get, yeah, I was going to say, gets oh, dinged so with strange. a chair, and then, unsurprisingly, Hogan and Warrior overpower Sid Justice and Big Papa Shango. For the record, I love Papa Shango so much so I have a tattoo of Papa Shango. You do indeed, yeah. I bloody yeah. love Papa Shango. What a character. Um, it could have been great. Until he got in the ring. He was also right in the ring. He was never like amazing. It was just Papa Shango was very slow and very yeah. tedious, basically. Papa Shango's best story was that build up with Ultimate Warrior when he made him sick. <laughs> and Warrior looking to camera going, Aah! with all the green vom. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was good. So, I mean, Hulk Hogan wins via disqualification, which is a terrible way to end WrestleMania. You're putting over the guy who's leaving, not in a clean finish. <laughs> and you've got the armor warrior to come take his place. Yeah, you've got your returning hero to come and take out your mid-card fictional demon character. Yeah. It's like when they bought back Giant Bernard as Lord Tensai, and they're like, this guy's going to be huge. Yeah, don't, you don't remember him, do you? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Yeah. No, no one's going to remember that Albert of yeah. the Prince variety. Why Why would Vince give this to Hogan now? Well, I, I suppose the only compromise is Hogan wanted the win. Vince gave him the win, but not via pinfall, by shenanigans. <sighs> I don't know. For me, Vince has to stand up and be like, no, you're losing, or get the hell out of my company. But this is what we said earlier. This was the time where Vince was trusting, and he had a lot of stock in Hogan. And yeah. had the steroid scandal disappeared quite quickly, he needed his his cash cow to be happy and back wrestling in WWF. Shame on you, Hulk Hogan. Shame. Overall, cornflake rating for the whole show out of five cornflakes. It's a difficult one in that watching it, I'd probably be solid three and a half, four. But after talking about it and realizing there's like no clean promos, no clean finishes. Sorry. Uh, it's difficult. I, I'd, I'd probably stick with my three and a half, four. It's, it's a quality show. Uh, it's not got the caliber of wrestling I'd like to see on it. There's two really, really solid matches being Flair Savage and Piper and Hart. But the rest is all kind of a bit fillery, you know? Yeah, I mean, I went into this with the memories of Flair Savage and Piper Hart as the big matches to come to this and obviously the return of Warrior um, in the main event. Yeah. I will still say, for nostalgia, this is in my top three WrestleManias. I really yeah. enjoyed it start to finish. I'm going to be honest, definitely one of the better, better WrestleManias. I, I don't enjoy many WrestleManias. No, WrestleMania, I think, I get excited for Mania. Yeah. I, it's always the one I take off work. It's always one I'll stay up and watch live, regardless of where I am in the world or whatever I'm doing. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, But... Especially in the last few years. Oh my God, yeah. It's been some stonkers, you know, some real bad ones. <laughs> But I think that from a mania standpoint, just for nostalgia purposes, for the commentary, and as you said, from start to finish, it flowed. Yeah. I know we had some filler matches, but they served a purpose. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will... At least they weren't like 15-minute filler matches like sometimes you get now. It means the card ends up being like six hours or some nonsense. Yeah. I enjoyed watching this again 
it's the sweet spot for wrestling for me for a big show. Two hours, 40 minutes, start to finish, including promos and exits and celebrations. I'm still sticking with my four cornflakes. I'll still say it's one of my favorite WrestleManias. But it also does make me realize that sometimes, if there are shows you adore or things you really like, don't go and look into them too much. <laughs> because until I'd gone through this, and again, even this afternoon looking at my notes just to refresh myself uh, before coming on, I forgot that there was actually no proper finish for any match outside of potentially The Undertaker. There are some cleanish finishes. There are some clever finishes. But not like, here's a big maneuver, here's my finish, pin and one, two, three, or slap no. on the you know the, fin- the submission and get the tap out. You know? And finally, having a DQ finish for your main event at WrestleMania, can you imagine how that would go in today's society? The fans would lose their mind. Yeah. If... This is going to be a weird one. Everyone feels this way about this show. If Flair and Savage is the main event, then it's definitely a solid four. Yeah. Because you're going home on that big finish, you know? And I think if they were the main event, they would have given you a solid finish as well. Definitely. Elbow drop off the top. Yeah. I think knowing they're in the middle of the card knows they can muck around with it and they want to continue this feud. Yeah, definitely. So I'm happy with it. I think it's a really good show start to finish. If you haven't watched WrestleMania 8, again, if you're new to wrestling or let's say you're in your teens or your early 20s and you've never given this show a chance <laughs> our demographic is yeah. not that but whatever. <laughs> no. but if if you're listening and you haven't watched it or you haven't watched it for a long time definitely go back and watch piper versus bret hart 100 percent. yeah definitely watch flair and savage you probably find that on youtube to be fair you know yeah and just revel in the beauty of heenan and monsoon calling the action up until the point where Flair loses the belt. <laughs> <laughs> Even then, it's still funny, you know, Heenan being on commentary, just constantly going on about Flair. He's good. It's really entertaining. Right. Before we move on to our game promos with a Z, I completely forgot to get my four horsemen ones. Sorry. That's fine. I will. I have got five perfect promos for you for this week's game. Sweet deal. But I'm going to give you a Wrestle League update. Do now, it. Now, I put your substitutions through. So cool. you subbed out Matt Hardy and Luke Harper, and you bought in Bo Dallas and Finn Balor. I haven't watched any WWE this week, so I have no idea how they did. Well, I will tell you this for nothing. You put Zero fin- points? You put Finn Balor in because he's on telly a lot. This week on Monday Night Raw, Finn Balor was not on telly. Excellent. Good <laughs> um, start. <laughs> you subbed out Luke Harper, and you bought in Bo Dallas, who got you one point. Because the match was called off. So as it started, though, you get one point for a draw. So Aww. well done, Bo Dallas. Um that, that feels like a uh, well, charity point. <laughs> and Ziggler teamed with Drew McIntyre to take on Seth Rollins. And for the first time in a long time, the Hills won. Oh, excellent. And cool. Ziggler got the pin, three points. Hey, nice. So that cool. takes your grand total up to 28 points for the season. We've got one Raw, one SmackDown, and then a SummerSlam cool. this season of Wrestle League. This week, I had uh, Rollins obviously lose to Ziggler. Um, I had Baza Corbs lose to Roman Reigns, but as Roman Reigns my wrestler, I got three points, which puts me on 49. Nice. I'm not going to make any substitutions going into this last week. I did contemplate ditching Asuka and putting in Ronda Rousey, because I'm pretty sure she'll win at the pay-per-view. Sounds like To it, get an yeah. easy six points. Unless there's a massive screw job, which could be quite fun. But... Which is why I'm not going to do it, because I think Natalia's going to screw her over. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want to make any final substitutions? You've no, got I'm, one left. I'm good for a while. Okay, good for a while. Well, it's the end of the season. So, Well, I want to hold on to that last sub before SummerSlam, just to yeah. try and get a sneaky extra point here and there. Excellent choice. Okay. So, that then takes us on to promos with a Z. I'm going to edit in some music. <laughs> 
are you ready for some promos with a Z? Let's do it. Which edition are we doing this week? This week we are doing the Holly edition. Lovely. Promos from Crash, Bob slash Hardcore and Molly Holly. Cool. Let's do it. So... I will start off with this one. How many are there? There are five. Okay, cool. You need to get three for the win. Last week, you got 100%. It was easy, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure this week it won't be much harder. Okay, go on. But I have picked things in for my own entertainment as well as yours. Sweet. Promo number one. It'll be okay. You can go around mutilating people, cutting people's heads off. Hey, that's fine and dandy. That's your business. Hey, I can forgive you for that. But when you affect sales on my merchandise... I can't forgive you. Oh, I'm between the two gents in this case. What are you trying to say about Molly Holly's merch? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it's said. Uh, I'm going to go crash. Oh, it was Bobo. Oh, damn. So difficult. Because it was, it was more aggressive. So I thought maybe it would be him. But like, yeah, I'm obviously wrong. Okay. Should have gone with the actual aggressive person. <laughs> are you ready for promo number two? Let's do it. One of the Hollies is having a conversation with Gangrel. Dracula, you fat bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be Bob, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Excellent. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> Just how he does that. Like, Dracula, you fat bastard. It's amazing. How did he get away with that? Don't know what I mean. Oh, he got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> okay. So, you're one for one. Pro- no, I won for two. I got the oh, first so, one sorry, wrong. one on one. Sorry, apologies. Yeah, it's okay. Promo number three. Last week, Raven's Mystery Driver cost my cousin the hardcore title. So the way I figure it, I owe them a beating. Oh, let's go. Crash. Molly Holly. Oh, damn it. God damn it. I'm one for three. I'm not doing good. So here we go. Promo number four. Kane, it seems you don't know who I am, you see. I'm the big shot. So if you want some of me, besides blindsiding me like you did last night, I'll tell you what, why don't you bring your big red diaper ass down to the ramp and fight me face to face? Because I tell you what, I'm ready for you tonight, you big red retard. <laughs> That's Bob. <laughs> yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> the big red retard comment is like, yeah. oh, no, we didn't. Whoops. <laughs> It's blatantly one of those things where he's just been so aggressive, he just let that slip out at the end. Yep. You're like, oh, <laughs> whoops. So I will move on to the final... Final one. I have to get it right to, to get win. It right to get the win. No one dresses like a ninja and attacks a holly. Oh. It's got to be Crash. It's Molly. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> In what context? Because I assumed it would be Hurricane. No, she, well, she was uh, talking to Michael Cole on Raw. Yeah. And she basically said, no one dresses like a ninja and attacks a holly. So I'm assuming they all got a beat down. I just found <laughs> quotes. That's <laughs> fine. Don't worry about it. But I said, my favorite, I just, uh, directly, you fat bastard. That's a classic line, man. Amazing. Bastard. Excellent. So next week, uh, I think we've agreed. <laughs> We're going to do ROH's Joe versus Kabashi from 2005. Uh, this is one of those matches that I remember seeing clips of the actual Joe versus Kabashi match. Uh, and thinking, oh, this is a bit stiff. <laughs> and I remember the opening card being reasonable and having some really interesting guys that kind of do a lot in the future. So I think it's, it's a good time period to be looking at. Okay, yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, mm. 
So uh, that brings us to a close on this week's episode of World of Wrestling Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Yeah. Um, okay, where can we find you on social media? So you can find us on our website, theworldofwrestlingpodcast.com, where you'll find all the links to all the podcasting apps, including iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, all that sort of stuff. Uh, you can find me as Rich Be Thy Name on Twitter and Instagram. How about yourself? I'm at the Tex Williams on Twitter and the Instagram I very rarely use, but I did get my daughter to meet a minion at the weekend and put that on Instagram probably, I think. Oh, excellent. I'll have to check it out. Obviously, I've been busy this week, so I haven't even looked at it. <laughs> don't even follow me. No, I, th- I think I do, don't I? I don't know. I think I do. I think I must be like one of the few people that actually do. <laughs> it's like, you've only signed up to it and never used it before, so yeah. It's all good. Don't worry. That uh, that sound came out like an insult. It really wasn't. <laughs> <meant to. laughs> uh, and if uh, we choose to become friends, we'll do this uh, <laughs> our own show next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. All right, cheers, guys. Take it easy. Bye bye. <laughs>